What does it mean to love God? What does it mean to love our neighbors? How and why should I care about those around me, even my enemies? In our 10-part series titled Loving as We've Been Loved, we're exploring how God's great love for us is the foundation for both our loving God and loving our neighbor as ourselves. Join us as we study the scriptures and see what this looks like in our everyday lives. Thanks for coming out this morning and uh, trust that you guys are excited to get into the word with me this morning. Um, I want to invite you for a moment to cast your memory back to the first time that you loved. I'm not, uh, I'm not speaking about your kind of supposed mature, I'm in my 20s something love. I'm speaking about that kind of preteen, adolescent, awkward, kind of sweaty palms, butterflies in the stomach, cotton mouth love. You know that that love where you see him or her across the classroom love. That love that you've never spoken to him or her ever before, but you're convinced that he or she loves you. You know that love? That love that eventually uh, breaks your heart when you realize that he or she never knew you existed and has actually never spoken to you and likes or loves someone else. Uh, If you can't cast your mind to that, I want you to cast your mind maybe back to the first time you ever kissed. Remember that moment? The first time you expressed your love for someone in a kiss. The, the uh, excitement and the, and the doubts and the fears and the nervousness and the questions. I waited 21 years for my first kiss, so there were tons of questions. You know, am I, am I doing this right? Am I, uh, what happens if she turns away at the, at the right moment, you know, at the, at the critical moments? And uh, in fact, my first kiss didn't go so well, to be honest. Uh, Debs was the first person I kissed, the first, the first woman I kissed. And uh, having waited 21 years, we, we kind of, two minutes in, as it were, and I thought it was going well. And she turns away and says, I'm sorry, I can't do this, and walks out, walks out and drives away. So that was my experience. And that's a story for another time. But that was my experience of the first kiss. Or... Or those men who've proposed before, maybe cast your mind back to that, that moment where you proposed, the nervousness uh, that, that, that came with proposing, even if you knew the answer. And can I say, for those that haven't yet proposed, commandment number one in the Ten Commandments of Proposals, make sure you know the answer is going to be yes before you propose. That's really important. I had planned this incredible proposal and got ready by the Tuesday and had anticipated doing the proposal on the Saturday. I'd written a poem, and those of you who know me know what a phenomenal feat that that was. But I was so nervous, I was sick to my stomach that I couldn't wait till Saturday, and I sabotaged all my plans, and I had to propose that night on a Tuesday, not in the way that I had planned. The reason I tell you all those stories and the reason why I'm asking you to to think about those moments is the point that I want to make through my sermon today is this point, that love is risky. Love is incredibly risky. We're in a a 10-part, 10-week series through the summer speaking about love, and the sermon kind of series title is Loving as We Have Been Loved. And we've been looking at a few things, kind of essentially asking and answering two main questions. Firstly, who are we to love? 
And we've looked at a couple things. Matthew 22, which is Jesus' greatest commandment to us. He, he says to us, love your neighbors as, your, as yourself. We've learned those two things, that we can't love our neighbors until we've learned to love ourselves. And, and then after that, we've, we, we learned about loving our enemies, extending the compassion and the grace and the forgiveness of the Father that has come to us, to other people. And then last week, Matt did an incredible job in helping us challenge, be challenged to love beyond our comforts and our culture. But this week, we are kind of steering slightly away from who are we to love and looking at how are we to love. And the Bible teaches us that we are called to love one another in the same way that Jesus loves us. Romans chapter 15 tells us that. Accept or receive one another, Paul writes. Uh, You can substitute those words for love. Love one another. Then, just as Jesus accepted or received or loved you, and, and, and he goes on to say, if we do that, we bring praise to God. So the way that Jesus loves us, his unconditional love, his consistent love, his patient love, his intentional love, his love that is not just with words, but with action as well, that's how we are called to love one another. So going back to my opening statement about love being risky, why is love so risky? Why is love so risky? And, and this is kind of the critical question that, that I want to try and, and answer today. I, I believe that love is risky because when we love, we put, our, we, we put our heart in a vulnerable position that is subject to the free will of someone else's response. There's nothing that is more awkward and maybe you've experienced this, then when you confidently say, I love you to somebody, and it is met with kind of a no response, or maybe at best a half-hearted, well, I guess I kind of like you too. I mean, you're putting your heart, you're, you're taking your heart, and you're expressing your love, and you, you're putting it at the free will of someone else's response. A funny story about, about kind of awkward I love you too moment was in the early days of the church, we, we were about six months in. We had just moved to Catherine Cook School, our first official venue, and uh, Jamie Tubbs uh, was on setup that morning, and she was running a bit late, and so she called in to say that she was on the way, a couple minutes out, but running a bit late, and I was talking to her on the phone, and I can't remember specifically what I said, but she thought I said, I love you, at the end of the conversation. And so just before she hung up the phone, there was this kind of really, really awkward pause. And then these words, um, I love you too. Like, and I suddenly realized what had happened. So I put the phone down and I ran to my wife and I said, babe, Jamie's on the way. She thinks I love her. Please, can you intercept her at the front door and tell her that there was a massive misunderstanding? And I proceeded to run downstairs and try and get busy with children's ministry or something that I, that I wasn't set up on. But the point is, there is, there is awkwardness when, when we make a statement, even though in my case it was a mistake, but we make the statement, I love you, and it's not received in the same way that we hoped it would. I think the, 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 the cross of Jesus Christ is the most significant love risk statement that has ever been made in the history of the world. Jesus dying on the cross when, we, when he didn't have a guarantee of how we would respond. Romans 5 tells us we can understand someone dying for a person worthy of dying for. 
How someone who is good and noble could possibly inspire selfless sacrifice to the point of death. But then verse 8 kind of drives the point home. Paul says, but God demonstrated his love for us in this. He put his love on the line that while we were still sinners, while we were still separated from God, while there was no indication of of what our response was going to be, Jesus died for us. I think the the cross of Jesus Christ is, is Jesus looking every person from every nation and every generation squarely in the eyes and saying, I love you. But then amazingly, giving us the free will to decide whether we're going to respond with, I love you too, or not. Unfortunately, so many people, just like the soldiers at Jesus' trial, have cursed and mocked and, and, and spat at Jesus. But you know what Jesus does? Jesus prays for them, and he says, Father, forgive them. For they do not know what they are doing. Essentially what Jesus is saying to every person who has ever mocked him, I love you. Unfortunately, some like Thomas have doubted and questioned what Jesus has claimed. And what Jesus does is he says, come, come to me, come close and and look at my hands and, and look at my side. Stop doubting and believe. Essentially what Jesus is saying to every person who's ever doubted what he's claimed is, I love you. Maybe some, like Paul, have chosen to oppose Jesus by hating and and persecuting the church, his bride. And Jesus' response to them is to to go after them and to pursue them and to to open their eyes to the reality of who who he is. And so what Jesus is saying to, to those people who have persecuted him, he says, I love you. Jesus is asking us that question all the time. No matter who we are, He is constantly putting his love on the line for us. And the question that we have to ask ourselves today is, can we also respond with an I love you too? Or is it this awkward denial of his love for us? With this in mind, I I, I, I hope that you can see, and and I want to spend some time helping us understand that the cross of Jesus Christ is not just an issue of where we're going to spend eternity whether we live, whether we're going to spend eternity with God in heaven or, 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 or spend eternity from God's presence in hell. As great a truth and as significant a truth as, as that is, the cross is so much more than that. The cross is, a, is an in-your-face invitation to each and every one of us to, to join with God in relationship with Him and, and live a life of, of following the ways of Jesus. The way, living the life that God always intended for us from the very beginning. A life of of intimacy with our Heavenly Father. A life of of trusting on the anointing and the the grace and the the power of the Holy Spirit. A life of, of continuing the ministry of Jesus. What Jesus began to do and teach here on earth, we are invited to continue that ministry of Jesus, to continue to love in that risky, relentless way that Jesus loves us. I think so often we think that when Jesus ascended into heaven, that was when his earthly ministry ceased. 
And friends, I want to say to us today, when Jesus ascended into heaven, that's when things only really got started regarding Jesus' earthly ministry. Because now he's not just limited in his own physical body, but we have been equipped with the same anointing and the same grace upon our lives to continue the work of Jesus. In John chapter 14, Jesus is talking to his disciples uh, prior to, to his death and and eventual ascension prior to the, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And he, and he says this, this to his disciples. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. In fact, he will do even greater things than these. Why? Because I'm going to the Father. I'm going to be sending, Jesus says, the Holy Spirit to come upon you. And you are going to do not just the works I've been doing, but even greater things than these. And then later on in John chapter 20, after Jesus' resurrection, he's gathered with his disciples and he, and he gives them this incredible commission. Just as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Just as the Father has sent me to love relentlessly. Just as the Father has sent me to love in a risky way. Just as the Father has sent me to love where there are no guarantees of someone's response. I am sending you. And then it says... Then it says after that, it says, and, and, and then he breathed on them and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. What, what Jesus is saying, what, what he was doing there was he was pointing to Acts chapter 2. He was, it was a prophetic picture of, of you need to wait for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because in your own strength, disciples, this is what Jesus is saying, you can never hope to love in the same way that I'm able to love. You can never do what I, what I have done and greater things than these unless you have the supernatural anointing of the Holy Spirit. And we know what so wonderfully happened in Acts 2. The Spirit of God is, is radically poured out upon the disciples and, and they explode out of the upper room and begin to literally turn the world upside down. The amazing thing, friends, is Jesus' ministry is the thing that we get to be a part of simply because we are His body. We, Jesus is the head and we are the body. We are the arms and legs. We get to do what Jesus has done. We get to continue what Jesus has started. We, I'm sure those of you who, who read and believe in, in the Word of God would agree with me that the Old Testament all points to the ultimate fulfillment in Jesus Christ. But friends, can I add to that and say, because we are His body, we get to be a part of that. We get to be a part of the action. We get to be a part of those scriptures being fulfilled in Jesus because we are his body. And what I want to do is, is just look at two examples of this relentless, radical uh, love that Jesus has. Two examples from the Old Testament that point to Jesus fulfilling those promises, but that you and I get to be a part of this too. And the first example, if you want to turn there or the scripture will come out behind me, is from the passage Isaiah 61, which many of us are very familiar with. The, the passage of, of, of this, this incredible prophetic word that Isaiah speaks about the coming of the Lord. And, and, and it starts off, as you guys know, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim or to preach good news to the poor. This, this same uh, 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 text is a text that Jesus preached out of in Luke chapter 4. 
Luke tells the story of Jesus going back to his hometown in Nazareth. And he goes into the synagogue and the synagogue leader hands Jesus the scroll from the prophet Isaiah. And Jesus turns to the part of the scroll that is equivalent to, to our uh, 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 61, chapter 61. And Jesus begins to read, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. And after he reads Isaiah 61, he he puts the scroll down and he says these incredible words. He says, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. What Jesus is saying is, is I am the one on whom the spirit of God rests. I am the one who has come to preach good news to the poor. But friends, as remarkable as that statement is, is this statement, that because we are the body of Jesus, we get to do the things that Jesus is called to, was called to do. We get to be those who proclaim freedom to the captives. We get to be those who preach good news to the poor. We get to be those who, who bind up the brokenhearted and bring release for those who are held captivity in prison. Can you for a moment just think about some of your friends outside of this meeting? Are any of them bound up and need, and need healing? Are any of them in need of good news? Are any of them held captive? Friends, the reality is the Spirit of the Lord is upon us. And we get to be those who, who take this news and take this power of God and go and share it with others. We get to go and help them exchange ashes for beauty. We get to help them exchange despair and give them joy instead. Or garments of praise instead of that kind of spirit of, of, of despair. And then remarkably in Isaiah, I think it's verse 3, the prophecy goes on. It says, they will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. Who is the they? The they are the people that come to know Jesus. They are our friends and family right now who don't know him. What a wonderful promise of hope for the people that don't know Jesus. That it's not, it's not that we get to do it all, but we get to tell others and invite them to join us in this incredible privilege of advancing the kingdom of God. Do you see how, how we get to participate in the, this relentless loving ministry that Jesus has that transforms the world? He invites us to be a part of that. The second example that I want to look at very quickly is out of Genesis 28. And again, you can turn there or the text will be behind me. And this is a, a very, this is a fascinating passage of scripture. And, and time is not going to allow me to, to kind of dig into the theological depths of this passage. So I'm just going to skirt over the surface and, and point out a couple of highlights. But essentially what has happened is, is Jacob is on the run and uh, he is, he, he's exhausted and he chooses to lie down for the night. Interestingly enough, he gets a rock to, as a pillow. I'm, I'm still kind of figuring that one out. I would prefer just to lie on the ground, but you know, he chooses a rock for a pillow. And he begins to have this incredible dream. Read with me from verse 13 of Genesis 28. There above, this, uh, so he sees this ladder. And, and on this ladder, there are angels ascending and descending. And it says in verse 13, There above it, above the ladder, stood the Lord. And he said... I am the Lord your God, your father. I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. 
all peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. They're very similar promise as in Genesis 12, where God says to Abraham, I'm going to bless you so that you can be a blessing to the nations. Friends, it's the same call that exists upon the people of God. God blesses us so that we can be a blessing to others. Verse 15, I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. I will bring you back into this land and I will not leave you until I've done what I've promised you. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place and I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, how awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. And so from this, from this story, from this account, you can see that, that Jacob has this dream and, 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 and above him, in, in this dream, he, he senses and he sees open heavens over him. And, and, and with the open heavens, there is the presence of God. And God is speaking and declaring his promises and his plan to Jacob. And Jacob kind of puts this all together and he says, this is an amazing thing that is happening. I'm going to call this place the house of God. And as I say, we don't have time to kind of dig into it deeply, but just like in Isaiah 61, this promise of of the house of God is firstly and initially fulfilled in Jesus Christ. John chapter 1 tells us that Jesus is the tabernacle or the house of God. John 1.14 tells us that Jesus came from heaven and he dwelt among us. He he housed himself among us. He, He tabernacled with us. And if you read the accounts of Jesus, you will, I'm sure, agree with me that that over Jesus' life, there were these incredible open heavens, and and the Father was always with him, and, and, and God was speaking his plan and his purpose over Jesus. The greatest example of that is at Jesus' baptism in Luke chapter 3. Jesus, Jesus is baptized in water, and as he comes out of the water, we, we hear this incredible account of, of the heavens opening up, and the Spirit of God coming upon Jesus like a dove, and the Father speaking over his Son, this is my Son whom I love, in him I am well pleased. And friends, I want to say to you and to to myself today that the Word of God tells us in Hebrews chapter 3 that we are also the house of God. The people of God, the gathering of God's people, churches, the, the, the church of Jesus Christ is the house of God. And so if we see in Jesus the promise of open heavens and the presence of the Father and God speaking to us, can I suggest to you, friends, that as people of God, you can have the same faith and it is God's desire that the same experience be upon your life and mine? That God wants over us for there to be open heavens. God wants his presence to be continually with us. God wants to continually speak his plan and his purpose over our lives. This is not so that we can revel in the glory of God, so that we can be equipped to continue the ministry of Jesus. But I want you to look at verse 16, because verse 16, so unfortunately, so succinctly and perfectly summarizes what I think so much of the church struggles with today. Jacob says in verse 16, he says, surely the Lord is in this place and I was not aware of it. Surely the Lord is is in this place and I was not aware of it. Friends, I want to suggest that that the church in general has, has lost sight of its mandate. 
We've lost sight of the purpose that God has put us here on earth, and that is to continue the ministry of Jesus Christ. We've unfortunately made it so much about ourselves that we've lost sight of the purpose why God has rescued us and the things that he's calling us to. We are a people who unfortunately continue to cry out to God for greater authority and greater anointing. Could I suggest that you have and we have all the authority we need? And we have all the anointing we need. What we perhaps lack is a revelation of Jesus Christ and therefore a revelation of who we are in him. So often, friends, we we approach prayer and worship and time with God with the intention or with the goal or with the hope of experiencing more of God's presence. And I've been so challenged over my vacation and the last few days that, that Don't we already have total access into God's presence? Don't we already have access into the the privilege of hearing the voice of God? So what what would happen if we started praying from the place that we want to end up? What happens if we started worship, not in the hope of attaining God's glory, but what happens if we started worship and prayer from the place of knowing that God already has given that to us because of who Jesus is and what he's done for us on the cross? How would you approach church next Sunday if somehow Jesus got a very clear message to you that he was going to be here next week? How would you approach the coffee invitation that you have with an unbelieving friend if Jesus somehow got in touch with you a day before and said, I'm actually going to be there at that meeting? How would that change the way you approach those those opportunities? But isn't that the case already? Isn't Jesus already here? Isn't Jesus already going to show up next week? Isn't Jesus going to be at that coffee meeting when you meet with your unbelieving friend? I I think we've lost sight of the reality that, 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 that Jesus actually said to his disciples, it is better for me to go away. Why? So that the Holy Spirit can come. Jesus is already here. Jesus is already with you. Jesus will be at the time that you have with your friend. So let's approach it with a sense of faith and expectation for Jesus to do what only Jesus can do. He is the God of the supernatural. We are the natural. He is the supernatural. He is the God who can do miraculous things at a moment's notice in the right time. He can bring down the walls of Jericho. He can part the Red Sea. He can turn water into wine. He can can raise the dead. He can cause Abraham, who couldn't even have one child, to be the father of multitudes. And he wants to do the same to you. He's that same supernatural, powerful God that is working today in you and in me. Friends, the ministry of Jesus was a ministry of relentless love. The ministry of Jesus was a ministry of of continually saying to the world, I love you, irrespective of the response that he would get back. That's why Jesus raised the dead. That's why Jesus healed the sick. That's why Jesus preached the gospel. That's why Jesus fed the poor. He was expressing his love. And the reality is, friends, as a believer in Jesus Christ, you and I are called to continue that ministry here on earth. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And so I want to quickly bring this into land. 
and I want to just get very practical for the last five minutes. And I want to share just a few little characteristics of, 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 of the people of God that God can use in this, in this radical way. To love others despite the fact that they might not love us in return. Four characteristics of someone that God is able to use in this way. Firstly, I would say this. Characteristic number one, that we ought to have a humble heart that is willing to listen. A humble heart that is willing to listen. I think there are two things that are necessary for God to take something very ordinary and make it extraordinary. And I think it's simply this, a man or a woman and a supernatural God in covenant relationship. That's it. And you know the reality of that truth, friends? We're not the supernatural. We're not the extraordinary. We're the very ordinary, and God is the extraordinary. And when the two of us come together, when we come together with God in covenant relationship, He is very much the senior partner. He is the one who brings all the anointing. He is the one who brings all the gifts. He is the one who brings all the favor. He is the one who brings all the grace. We come totally empty-handed, and yet God is able to use us still. A humble heart that is willing to listen. Secondly, second characteristic of someone that God is able to use to, to love in a relentless, reckless, risky way. Secondly, an available life that is ready to obey. An available life that is ready to obey. So, kind of going back to what I said earlier about the fact that God is, is not only here, but God, is, God will, is at every single place that you go to. God is always present. God is always speaking. God is always releasing and equipping us and wanting to use us. So I want you to think about this. Because God is everywhere and always with us, any situation has the potential to become extraordinary. Any situation has the potential to become extraordinary. Think about that in the context of sharing the gospel. Think about that in the context of hanging out with your friends and family. Any and every situation has the opportunity and potential to become extraordinary. Those of you who know me know how one of my biggest weaknesses is that I tend to put a lot of pressure on myself. When that challenge comes from the pulpit, someone else preaching or the Lord speaking to me, I often get myself into a position where I, I feel like I've got to work to make things happen. And I can start to, to come under an incredible performance pressure. The Lord's been pressing on my heart a lot recently about preaching the gospel and sharing the love of Jesus with others. And unfortunately, I've allowed myself to, to kind of take that on as a burden, starting to condemn myself and, and feel guilty when I'm not leading people to the Lord or, or getting chance to preach the gospel. And so just over vacation, and in fact, sort of prior to that, the, the kind of few months before that, I started praying and I was saying, Lord, what can I do? What can I do to get out from this pressure? What can I do to just, just to be real and normal and natural about it? And you're going to laugh at what I felt the Lord say to me. I'm sure you are. But I felt the Lord say to me, you know what, Steve? I've given you an accent. I've given you an accent. And it is an incredible conversation starter. So just go out and smile at people and start a conversation and see what happens. And so that's what I've been doing these last few months. I go into Starbucks as I do quite frequently, and I smile at the barista when I order my coffee. And you know what? Very quickly, a conversation starts. And every single time someone hears my accent, they ask the question, where are you from? What are you doing here? And things begin to happen. 
Debs and I were in, in an Uber car the other day and uh, got chatting to our Uber driver, a gentleman by the name of Big Mike, six foot 11. His name is Big Mike, six foot 11, massive, massive man, ex-basketball player. We got, we got to share the gospel, we got to preach with, got to share with him, got to pray over him. He was at church like four weeks ago. Just because I felt the Lord say, use the accent that I've given you. And so I challenge you guys, what are the simple things God has given you? What are the simple things that you can use that, are, that might seem ordinary that God can add an extraordinary component upon? The third thing, the third characteristic of a, of a person that God can use to love in this way is simply this, integrity of character that wants to honor God. Integrity of character that wants nothing more than to honor God. John chapter 4, Jesus says this. He says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. And friends, I pray, I trust that, that as we are used by God to continue the ministry of Jesus, to raise the, the dead and to heal the sick and to open blind eyes and to bring people into freedom, that our number one motivation is simply this, that Jesus would receive all the honor. And then lastly, the courage to be risky in love. The courage to be risky in love. I want to, I want to I, 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 I read something that I, it's taking some of the themes that, I, that, I, that I've shared this morning. I've kind of rewritten First um, Corinthians 13 a little bit. Now I know you uh, theologians out there are probably like, are literally manifesting right now. Like, what? Re- rewriting scripture? You'll get the heart of it. It's the, the essence is the same. If I proclaim good news to the poor and freedom for captives, but don't have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I bind up the brokenhearted and release prisoners from captivity, but don't have love, I'm nothing. If I live under open heavens and sense God's presence, if I heal the sick and raise the dead, and if I give everything I own to the poor, but I don't have love, I gain nothing. My task this morning as part of this series was to preach about ways that we can impact the people around us. And you know what? Here's my answer to that. You can do anything. You can do anything. I'm not going to stand up here and tell you the things that you need to be doing to impact the people around you. Because all I'm going to be doing is putting shackles upon you and trying to prescribe a way that you can impact your neighbors and friends. But here's the one thing I want to leave you. Here's the one thing I want to say. It's not important how we reach people. It's important with what heart we reach people with. And if you can love them with that risky love that, is, that, doesn't, that, that might not get the response back, if you can love them in the relentless way that, that Jesus loves us, then I want to say you can do anything. With the, and with the expectation that God can transform an ordinary moment into something incredibly extraordinary. Matthew 10. And I want to ask you if you can just close your eyes for a moment as I land this sermon this morning. Matthew 10. Jesus is speaking to his disciples and he's commissioning them to, to be released to go and to advance the kingdom of God, advance the reign and the rule of Jesus. Just close your eyes. I want to ask you this, if you can do that this morning. And Jesus says this, and, and I feel like this is God's word over us today. Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is near. 
The reign and rule of Jesus is close. The reign and rule of Jesus is upon us. Heal the sick. Raise the dead. Cleanse those who have leprosy. Drive out demons. And then he says this, freely you have received. Freely give. Father, I thank you that you have poured out your love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. I thank you that most of us here, Lord God, are, 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 have responded to your incredible invitation of love. I thank you, Lord God, that you didn't die, you didn't show that love just for some or just for a handful of people, but your word teaches us, Jesus, that you died on the cross. You were raised from the dead. You displayed the unfathomable love of the Father with the intention that every single person from every nation and every generation is able to receive that love of yours. Father, I pray, just as you commissioned your disciples, that right now, Lord, by your Holy Spirit, you would commission us. That you would, just in a fresh way, Lord God, fill us with a revelation of your love. A revelation of who you are, Jesus. Of what you have done for us. Of how we are called to continue your ministry here on earth. To, to, to proclaim the good news to the poor, to, to, to bind up the brokenhearted, to release from captivity those who are bound, to bestow on them a crown of glory and riches instead of ashes, to place on them a garment of praise instead of despair, the oil of joy instead of mourning. Thank you, Jesus, that you've equipped us this way. And I pray, Lord God, that we would respond with a, with a yes in our hearts to say, Lord, help us. Help us to love others in this risky way. Help us to love others despite the, the lack of guarantees, Lord God. Do something radical in our hearts, I pray in Jesus' name. Just as you continue to just pray and just, if you wouldn't mind, just continue to keep your eyes closed before I hand over to Hugh. Perhaps you are here today and you have never responded to Jesus's I love you with an I love you too of your own. Salvation is not about religion. It's not about checking the boxes and doing the right things. It's not about finding worth and value in the things that we've achieved or, or working hard to try and please a, a God that we think is demanding perfection from us. Salvation is simply saying, I love you too, in response to Jesus saying to us, I love you. It's simply saying, Jesus, I, I, I thank you for the fact that you've died on the cross for me. And I love you too. And so if you're here today and you feel you've never made that commitment before and there's a, there's a stirring in your heart to be able to say to God, God, I love you too. God, I, I want to know you. God, I want to be in relationship with you. I want to ask you and invite you right where you are seated. It's as simple as that, friends. Right where you are seated, 
Just respond to the Father. Say, Father, I love you too. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross for my sins. Thank you, Jesus, that you paid the price. Thank you for showing me that you love me. Jesus, I love you too. I love you too. Father, I pray that if anyone prayed that prayer this morning, you would seal that decision in their hearts today. That they would know that today, if they've prayed that prayer from their hearts, if they've cried out to you, Jesus, thank you that they are a son or a daughter of yours. They are are born again by the Spirit of God. Lord, the gospel is good news. We love you, we praise you, and we worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this Church in the City podcast. For more information about our church or to listen to other messages, visit churchinthecity.us.